welcome to Frame Rate. No, no. <laughs> you said you said you I could. You it. said I was the new host. Oh wait, <laughs> I did. When? You I, I, did. I said it. Did I say that? I said it. I said we. Yeah, I said we here at the frame rate make it so that the guest runs the show and like takes notes. I'm your host, David Bell. Uh, today I have two guests. Oh, oh, we're the guests. God damn it. Okay, I'm Michael Swain. <laughs> Welcome, I'm Abe Epperson. Welcome, in. Did you say well, it's the show you. where we rate frames? It's the show where we rate, rate frames. Yeah, I said you, it. You got oh, the tagline? Cool. Good job. Yeah. Little tagline. I like that. Welcome, um, you and guys. Then, How are you? What do you have to plug? Uh, nope. Nope. That's the end. <laughs> that's the end. Well, I mean, it's his show. All right. I mean, uh, I guess it's your bit show. Bit over. Bit over. I finished oh, okay. the bit. Damn, I was looking forward to this. No, it's a I'm good too tired. Bit. We could bring it back later. It's, it's a good. It's ex- yeah. It's state. It's welcome. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we are talking about 2001, 1968's 2001 film by Stanley Kubrick, I believe. A yes. Space Odyssey, we should say the subtitle. Yes, that's and, right. And uh, yeah, obviously. Well, if you know film. I like to think that our audience straddles an age gap such that there are some people who would be like, I know of it, but I ain't seen it. I ain't seen it. But um, if you're into film, obviously one of the big classic, like much like the monolith from the film itself, people are like, oh, yes, 2001, of course. I and I like that. Like you're supposed to like it because yeah. it's mm. so good. It's um, also it's it, the, yeah, it's a movie that a lot of people know parts of, but I don't think a lot of people have sat down and watched Oh, and it's artistic. It's one of the first mainstream movies. Well, we'll get into it. There's a lot of stuff to say about it. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff to say about Kubrick. There always is. Dave, can you tell us why you picked this film of all the possible films Ugh. we could cover on frame rate and your relationship to it? Like how many times you've seen it and uh, a little synopsis of what it's about. Cause it's actually fairly simple. There's not that many plot points. All right. We'll, we'll start with, um, I guess what what it's about. Can I go in a different order than you said? I was hoping you'd do all three parts simultaneously, but like a tube and throat singing thing. But yeah, you can go in reverse order. Okay, um, you're right. This Here is a go. this is a fairly simple plot. It's about a species that um, at the beginning Ooh. of their of their of their uh, existence, they come upon a monolith, a mysterious monolith that when touched. Uh, sparks evolution in them. Uh, they they start learning how to use tools. Um, the species is us. I guess I should point that we're out. Treating, um, treating it like a twist of some kind. No, like but it. it is kind of how the movie runs. Um, yeah, and so right. they we we hard cut um, match cut. Is that what it's called? To a um, match cut to yeah, a uh, spaceship from the bone to a uh, satellite, a um, weapon satellite. It's showing that our weapons have missile launcher. Yeah, in the orig- we'll get into it. Showing that our weapons have evolved from yeah. bone to nuclear missile. Uh, where where this this dude whose name I forget, even though I've watched this movie a lot, um, mm. shows up. The names don't matter. They, he shows up at a space station. He's on his mm. way to the moon. Uh, they've discovered something mysterious on the moon. He can't talk about it. Uh, a lot of just showing off space and effects, um, but more or less he, he calls his daughter, he makes it to the moon, um, he's told of this, uh, buried monolith that they found, 
They have a meeting about it. He goes to see it. It seems to attack them when they try to touch it. Um, it emits a high-pitched sound uh, that very much upsets them. Uh, and we we then cut to how many months later? It's 18, like 18? 18. 18 months. I didn't take any notes. Um, and we're on a mission to Jupiter. I believe that scientist is one of the people who is in cryosleep yes. aboard it. But it's just two astronauts. Uh, uh, just, you know, keeping the lights on, making sure everything's working. And Hal, a, uh, artificial intelligence that is, uh, uh, nothing new. It's like, it's like their Siri. Like, it's just, they're on ships. Uh, and as they get closer to Jupiter to find this other monolith, uh, Hal slowly, uh, well, first starts by, uh, predicting that something is going to fail on the ship. Uh, they they remove the item, which requires a spacewalk, uh, and they test the item to see that it is not going to fail, and Hal was wrong. Uh, they suspect there's a computer error. Hal, of course, says, like, it must... Or, sorry, Hal says it's a human error. They they suspect it's a computer error, so they go and they um, go into one of their pods that gets them to the outside, uh, their little pod ships, and they discuss it without Hal being there to listen to them of mm-hmm. what to do if Hal is malfunctioning and how they'll have to take him offline and how that's never been done before. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we uh, learn that Hal can read lips, or at least it's implied, as Hal watches them discuss them shutting him down. We cut to an intermission. Intermission. Yep. Yeah. Also, if you guys watch this on HBO Max, they don't do the like the prologue sound thing. They, yeah, I, yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, that pissed me off. Um, yeah, it's like three minutes. Yeah, just and put they it just in. Just cut it out of the movie. Yeah, it was so weird. They're like, "Nah, we don't need this." It was like it was like a Hal type AI uh, just slapped it on. I there. like it. It makes it feel like it's a fancy movie. Exactly. You like sit down and you're like, "Oh, is the movie started?" I feel like I can talk, but also like this is putting me in a tone. Exactly. You know? It also, I think, is just for a movie like this, it works really well. Uh, Yes. So Hal, they go out to put the, um, Hal suggests that they let the, the, the piece that was supposed to fail, fail, to reinstall it. So the astronaut, one of them goes out, um, leaving behind the only one I remember the name of, which is um, Bowman, right? Dave? Bowman. Dave. Um, and would uh, that, I would remember it, yes. <laughs> uh, and Hal, while the other guy is out, he basically possesses the pod. And hurls this motherfucker into space. Uh, fucks him right up. Uh, Bowman has to go out and save him. And as he's... Oh, and while he's doing that, Hal kills everybody on board. All the people who are in cryosleep. The character we had been following in the first 40 minutes, dead. Um, and uh, Hal says he can't allow them back in because he knows that they're going to shut him down. And he thinks that will uh, jeopardize the mission. When the reality is, of course, Hal seems to have become self-aware and is protecting himself. Uh, Dave uh, does something very risky and gets back in um, and proceeds to shut Hal down as Hal begs for his life. Um, Hal slowly loses his mind, uh, reverts back to his original, like, when he right out of the model uh, default and dies. And they get to Jupiter um, where the monolith, a, a bigger other monolith is there. Um, and upon reaching it, 
uh, Dave goes out in his uh, pod, in one of the little pods, and is then uh, seemingly teleported through a, some sort of wormhole to through and to distant planets, a very alien planets, and a very intense experience for him. He is then locked away in what appears to be a, uh, a zoo. Um, it can be interpreted many ways, uh, but it seems to be some sort of observation area that's designed to look like something familiar to humans, but isn't quite there. Um, he starts experiencing time very differently. He sees himself slowly age from like a third person perspective until he's finally on his deathbed. He reaches out at the monolith that is now in the room with him and some sort of process breaks him down and he, he, he evolves much like the monkeys at the beginning uh, into a giant fucking fetus over the earth. Uh, some mysterious next step in humanity uh, as he looks upon the planet. The star child. Uh, the star child, yeah, uh, contemplates what what's going to happen next. And the movie over. And, Can I just... And I assume it was continued in 2010, a movie I did not see. It's a no, great, great trivia, just that... Uh, so this movie, considered such a classic now, got very much mixed reviews at the time. Yes. And wasn't necessarily a box office success until... Teens started going to it because they like tripping on acid to watch exactly. the alien sequence. And that's amazing. But what's amazing to me is I had this experience with no country because no country obviously does some things that are bold with. I think critics were savvy enough to jump on board and be like, no, it's artistic. We like it. But audiences like at the end of no country, which is now one of my favorite films of all time. The when I saw it in theaters. People audibly went like, what the fuck? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, yeah. Just doesn't uh, feel like a movie. I love this trivia that at the end of 2001, Rock Hudson, <laughs> like one of the great dashing leading men of the previous generation went, now what the hell was that about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Yeah. It did not do well. This movie did not do well. I always think of this movie as long, but it's actually not by I today's thought, standards. I'm like, here goes... I was like, Dave gave me a three-hour homework assignment. I'm like, it's not even 2.30. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mm. It was yeah. long. Like, it was considered long it's at one point. Because it's got meditative editing. The yeah. slow pacing, pacing of the long. editing. Yeah. yeah. The, the story is not that long. What's interesting is, and thank you for that I do, recalling. Just to quickly, I, I like the itemization and the oh, atomic yeah. kind of approach to it. I um, think it's necessary. Just to quickly answer your question. I've watched this movie about 10 times. I've had this movie on like hundreds of times. Mm. If And it's for what you're about to talk about, Abe, the meditative qualities of the film. Yeah, it's just, it ha like the music, the visuals, uh, it's, can we just get out right away? Like, like informed how we shot space for decades as well. Yes. The legendary status of this movie, I think the reason if anyone doesn't get like, why does everyone like, I don't, I didn't care about 2001. Try watching it on 35 millimeter. If you ever get the chance before you die, I swear mm -hmm. it is. It, it's like taking drugs. Yeah. The or, movie is amazing. It puts you in a trance. Kind of, yeah, it absolutely. really does. You, whatever, whatever like is going on in your life, this just take, it's one of those types of films that takes you, shakes you out of whatever that is and just says, this is me now. I yeah. we're you and me right now. Basically. In a way, <laughs> if this is a reference that like, 
pings for people. It's like Koyaanisqatsi with a story. <laughs> right. Yeah. And that's why the story is pretty bare. I mean, there is a lot of details, mm-hmm. but it's really just like guy goes to space. Robot might have gone crazy. Guy meets aliens. Yeah. Becomes a, a energy. Well, here's I the like thing. that it's it's the emergence of three kinds of life and it's sort of the most basic epic sci- space opera you can do right which is so mm-hmm. cool because Kubrick called Arthur or uh is it Arthur yeah C. Clark and was like I want to yeah. make the proverbial good sci-fi film was the quote I found and that's so it great feels like because it's about like at the standard humans race evolu- a human race's evolution into a new stage into the future and the unknown <clears throat> uh, right. in a sci-fi way the discovery of alien life and the discovery of artificial life. It's all the basic sci-fi tropes in a very vague way, but just like presented like a delicious flight of sci-fi. The thing about it is that like, you're right. It's a simple story, but it's a gigantic story and it's treated that way. So So like, that's the thing we forget is I think it's, it's, it came out in a time where space movies were just, like they weren't done like this. Like you said, it changed the way mm. we made, we, we photographed space and it clearly inspired movies that exist today. You know, inception and interstellar, interstellar both yeah. really come to mind. I think Chris Nolan and in fact, Chris Nolan to a lesser oh, degree than yeah. Kubrick drains the actors of a lot of the emotional highs and lows. In right. The performances I think well. because of Kubrick. Yeah. yeah. But it kind of is Kubricky. I'm realizing, yeah. Oh I yeah, and I think it really works for this, though. You know, Spielberg was David Lean. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. He approached he approached making art that way. He learned everything about the guy because he respected the hell out of his films. So he kind of became him a little bit, and yeah. I think Nolan did the same thing with Kubrick. But it um, it's it's just it, it, that's why I like it is because I feel like. We forget how insane space is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then on top of it, it's, yeah, it's it's us. It's, yeah, an alien existence creating a singularity in man and then us creating mm-hmm. our own um, with AI. Uh, and and that, it's a big fucking deal. You could argue, it, do you guys think Hal became <clears throat> Hal because he got closer to the monolith? I want to talk about that. I want to talk about that a little later in the podcast. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I still want to do like opening movements. It makes yeah. sense for this podcast to have movements that are broader in strokes. Sure, um, yeah. we can do whatever order you want. I have, yeah. Yeah. but uh, yeah, Dave synopsis for people who haven't seen it. Dave synopsized an interpretation of it, but I think it is intentionally open to interpretation. That said, our standards we've gotten much better at that well there's more of everything there's more dumb shit now but there's also like i would say um you know midsummer is more open to interpretation that's fairly mainstream 2001 if if you think about it for a minute it makes it pretty much makes sense yeah that's the thing it's you have to imagine the time that it came out and the effect like this was a big movie that my dad talked to us a lot about right and how like his my grandpa, who's like bitter, reclusive, shell shocked from World War II, drank himself to death and like never talked or cared about anything. 
one of the only like decent experiences they had was going to 2001 and at the end they like sat outside in the car in the parking lot and talked for like three and a half hours with my grandpa being like now what do you think that meant what do you think this right. meant and just going right. on about the movie and i, I was like it. it's pretty straightforward <laughs> it took you three and a half hours to decode and he's like there was nothing like this at the time it was yeah. mind-blowing do you yeah, guys remember how star trek the motion picture has an intro that is just docking the Enterprise. Oh, and yeah, it yeah, takes it's like for sure. Oh, and it's like six minutes long. <laughs> Not to mention the amazing, much lauded opening shot of A New Hope, where the fucking Star Destroyer comes into frame. Yeah, is totally two thousand one. Not to mention the that. miniatures are like directly Star Wars directly quoting like hangar bays. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, like the way where where um, uh, Floyd lands on the moon before the moon base when they like dock with like the the final leg of the journey. Right. It's literally. A shot in Star in Star Wars. Star Wars. Way, every the, um, movie that's ever shot space pays yeah. homage to this movie. It's great, whether or not they know it at this point. By the way, that's the guy, why it's amazing to like. Sorry, just one last thing because sure. something that um He's the host, Mike said. One, one thing that Mike mentioned, just like how Kubrick wanted to set out and make just like the standard uh, version of it, like the book on the bookshelf that is just. Broadly on like the topic, science fiction. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in. It's kind of incredible to me that they did that. Like they nailed it before they even knew. Kubrick actually set out to create. I want the sci-fi that is like the start of all the genre, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Even though it wasn't like the first sci-fi, obviously. I want the one that everyone remembers and talks about, and then you know becomes like a part of the lexicon of that culture. He was absolutely right about that. Uh, that is insane to me. Yeah. The Dave had something. Dave, you go. Yeah, I just wanted to note the guy who uh, you mentioned Star Trek: The Motion Picture. The guy who did the mm. effects in that. Guess where he got his start? It was two thousand. Oh, you worked on this one. Douglas Trumbull. He also did the opening shot of Blade oh, cool. Runner. Um, he mm. does like basically every good model effect of this time. Yeah. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He got his mm. start here because he worked on a movie called the, To the Moon and Beyond for the mm. World's Fair in 1964. And guess who went in to see it? It was Stanley Kubrick. Uh, and, and when he weighed 2001, he, he basically contacted the people who worked on that and was like, I want all of you uh, involved with this. Um, yeah. And the just it can't be overstated like the. Uh, the way that space is shot and the way starships in and interiors are designed in this uh, is so seminal that yeah. this is the movie that makes people think the moon landing was fake. This uh, is right. one of the last movies made about like space before the moon landing really happened. And nowadays it's sort of filtered down to the point where people are just like oh i know there's some people who think it's a conspiracy that we didn't land on the moon and it's fake but at in the day at the time the conspiracy was specifically that stanley kubrick shot it while because shooting 2001 this movie is so yeah. mind shattering yeah. yeah people were like i see that space i see that space it just looks like stanley kubrick the lady yeah. had the their pen was floating and the lady grabbed it with yeah. the velcro. I bet shoes. it's just Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
So that's how like much verisimilitude there was, which is amazing. The thing I also love yeah. about the space sequences is how goddamn long they take. Because, I mean, it's one of the things I think, it's one of the first things that movies that um, took from this movie got rid of. Star Wars, Star mm-hmm. Trek, where they're just like, yeah, no, it's 30 seconds. We're in and out. But like, yeah. again, space is a big deal. And what these ships are doing is is, is a miracle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's the thing. Uh, and so he just he just wants you to fucking live in it and be like, no, this ship docking on this space on the space station is beautiful and ins- insane and like it's 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 alien and we're we're mm-hmm. gonna watch the whole fucking thing happen. Yeah, one the, thing uh, that I occurred love that. to me: almost every film is tries to be cohesive, uh, unless you're like Enter the Void and you're trying to not be cohesive and that's your thing. But yeah, um, usually that unity comes from themes, visuals. These are the big ones that like ninety nine percent of movies hit. It's so rare to have a movie about totally disparate, like the visual, the way the spare landscape of the Australopithecus sequence looks is so Mm. different than the way Jupiter is shot, obviously. And by the end, you have like a psychedelic laser light show. So these Mm -hmm. things don't are visually disparate. The stories are in phases that are disjointed. The characters are not like dear to us and we don't stay with them for very long at once. The robotic, all of them. Yeah, it's uh, it's unity comes from its pacing. Yeah, and I can't barely yes. think of any movies where they are unified by their pacing. The only other one I thought of is Baby Driver has conspicuous pacing. Um, the thing is, mm. oh, has like a very constant pace. Think about the start of the thing and it, dun dun, you know, and it's just that is the speed of the entire film. Like it's mm. it's a helicopter following slowly following a dog. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right about the visual brilliance. And I don't, I can't stress enough for, cause there's reasons to not like Kubrick, but, and it, honestly, like sometimes we should really think about that. Um, there is no denying in my mind that he was brilliant with visuals. There's a reason yeah. why we respond to his movie. Cause I was watching this movie this time and I, something I noticed and I just kind of admired uh, this way through is just how the visuals, it doesn't just stop with like the mind bending, uh, you know, visuals we get towards the end of the film or the lengthy sequences of miniature work that just look amazing. Um, at the begin at the beginning of the film, there's so much to like about those, but just a, the simple stuff he's so good at when, I, uh, pool is the name of the astronaut who right. dies via how like in his EVA suit, right? and just yeah. close your eyes and think about him struggling because he's losing oxygen, right? Mm-hmm. The violence of him, like kind of trying to grab at his own like cord, uh, it's not just and then there's a, literally a strobing effect because of the lighting mm-hmm. that's happening but if you just think about how his hands are moving it's something a little what it's called is that he's shooting at a higher shutter speed and there's no reason to really do that in that moment other than kubrick saying i want to i think that that's the right shutter speed 
I'm not going to use the yeah. shutter speed that we normally use. I'm going to use one that makes you go like, ah, it's a little strobey and it feels too much kind of like Gladiator. Draws you know how the you can... eye to the fluttery fingers. Yeah, yeah, like Ridley Scott did that with Gladiator where you see the little like just morsels of of, of little dust or whatever, like mm-hmm. the, the, the ground you can see granular. Um, he did that with just him. He was just like, that spoke to the violence of the moment. It's those kinds of instincts, I think, that we don't talk a lot about Kubrick's ability to kind of hone in on and just perfect. Yeah, this is kind of why this is my favorite Kubrick film, because take, you know, obviously a lot of behind the scenes reasons to not like Kubrick. If we're going by just his work, I would say one of the problems with Kubrick is that he doesn't tend to understand people. Um, yes, he's not. Or rather, he's not interested in them. That yeah. doesn't mean like I love The Shining. Um, I like a lot of his work, but there's always that disconnect. This mm-hmm. is not about any one person, and it works uh, to his benefit. It's like he's shot, appropriate for yeah, it. Yeah, it's shot in a way that's almost very mechanical. Um, everything the shots are very still or on tripod, yeah, and they exactly. pan very as much as they need to. The close-ups are only when it's, like, something you have to see. Um, And it works to increase the tension, but it also is still shot in this... Like, when Hal is reading their lips, we see a close-up of their lips and a close-up of Mm -hmm. Hal's eye. Uh, And that Mm -hmm. does the thing. It's Um, very matter-of-fact, business as usual. Yeah, it's like watching ants. Or Mm -hmm. it's like like watching a, a large... Like, it's like the intro to something like Lord of the Rings, where it's like, and then this happened, and then this happened. Mm-hmm. And they don't really go into what the characters are feeling. He shows evidence of their connections to people, their parents, their kids. Um, but it's also very matter of fact. And for a movie that's showing, like, I'm literally going to just show the, like, major advancements in humanity. <laughs> like, their right. conception, and then their their next evolution, and them becoming gods themselves. Um, it, it's, it's just very detached, uh, yeah. and it's detached it's, on purpose mm-hmm. and it's part it's of why I love it in a way. Yeah. It's like this person begat this person. I'm just the facts, man. Yeah. You know? The fact that I don't remember the characters names, like it's because it's, it's to me, it's like a painting. It's again, it's something mm-hmm. I put on, uh, and right. I have on in my house while I'm doing something or walking mm-hmm. around cause it's just this piece of moving art. Uh, that's depicting a very simple story, but a very complex idea or a very did, big idea. Did you guys, are you guys ready to get into the kind of what it means stuff? Sure. Or do you think, I want to, well, or do you want to keep talking about legacy and quality? To go into yeah. that, I do want to talk about that movie that I sent to you guys. Oh, right. Yeah. That's a good opportunity. Because I think that has to do with what it means. Um, Oh, well, then Mike said he wanted to oh, talk, yeah. have more to say about other stuff, I think, right? Am no I reading that cares. wrong? I care. What do you mean? I just wanted no, I... to compare it to like a couple of films, because I think unlike The Shining, which is you always want to make your movie look good, especially if you're Stanley Kubrick, but I do think 2001 holds a special place in his pantheon because of the milieu and like how he knew... The visual impact is the whole point. Because even the way, from the very beginning, the way he shoots Primordial Earth is fucking breathtaking. It is, yeah. yes. And uh, so it reminded me of stuff like The Revenant, where mm-hmm. you're just like, 
I just wanted to prove I could fucking do that. <laughs> like, yes. go there and shoot those things and bring back those pictures. And, no, uh, yeah. and Ponyo, which was an oh. interesting story because it was the one where Miyazaki was like, I saw Finding Nemo and I just wanted to prove that it doesn't take CG to render like a thousand layer vibrant undersea. <clears throat> that's great. Situation. Yeah. And that's what he, that's why he came out of retirement the eighth time. To do yeah. Else. Cause he, yeah. he's single handedly trying to hold the and, river yeah, the of together. the future and holding animation. To and he told his son he wasn't good enough and made him go to a different studio. Yeah. So like, mm-hmm. there's no, anyway, that's a different yeah. thing. Uh, and then Artists just how much it's, it kind of, I'm sure it sucked for the dude. Cause uh Kubrick had a guy composing score for it and strung him along for about I think half the production process is what IMDB says um and it wasn't until the premiere then where the guy went to the movie that he saw oh he didn't use any of my music <laughs> none of it none and of Kubrick it, yeah. said yeah I always intended to use classical music but the you know the suits were nervous so I had a traditional score made but I always knew I was going to ditch it and it's like that's the kind of dick Kubrick is all yeah. well and good mm-hmm. but it did make me realize how much it's another thing that he's consciously doing is it's an opera it's a filmed opera it yeah, has the yeah. pacing the scale and the emotional involvement of an opera which is not much it's all allegorical it's full uh, of movements and yeah. and yeah the last thing about like the texture and then we'll talk about what it means is uh, in that context of like, it's like a rock opera, so to speak. That Mm -hmm. combination, the sensation I get from the opening shot of the sun, moon, and earth lined up with Thus Spake Zarathustra, which of course has been paired. But that moment, Mm. it reminds me of nothing so much as I think of it every time as the beginning of the track, everything in its right place, where you're just like immediately in. I'm yeah, just, just like, like lock the fuck doom. in. Yeah, yep, I'm in. The <laughs> uh, absolute like, all right. I, I do want to the textual beginning because it's so important. Because when you think about the first four minutes of the movie, that is the moments that it's like I'm fucking got you. Yeah. You, oh, <laughs> you, oh, were you sad a second ago that you were about to watch 2001? Guess what, motherfucker? I'm here. And uh, it does this trick to me every time. We're like. Did you think you were going to be bored because it's slowly paced and you've seen it before? Nope, right. you're engaged. You're <laughs> engaged. The first three minutes, uh, and not if you watch it online these days, uh, apparently. Yeah, it's uh, really fucked is up. The three minutes of black. Imagine Overture. the gall a filmmaker would need these days to start a movie like that. Yeah. Right. Well, I three think minutes Tarantino black did it to me. Oh my God, did he? He did it for the wrong movie. He. So this David Lean, um, I always associate with David Lean. I know it's just a bunch of filmmakers. The intermission um, and and yeah, oh, yeah, the yeah, little yeah, yeah. the musical that's, start, that was all standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fucking um, he did it for um, Hateful Eight, Hateful which Eight. is the yeah. oh, that's least, right. least epic film he could do it for. Yeah, that's, he just it's did it because not, he wanted to. Um, it's not really in the genre of exactly. Western, it's a, whatever. It was uh, it, he had he had watched a movie. The month before and wanted to do it it wanted um, to do it. exactly and it didn't uh, matter if the script it worked or not um, that's so funny but i always for this i think it's so appropriate because it it's almost like being born like you hear you just right. hear the movie for a while and you have to it like live in you it in. yeah but the the fact that like the first actual like filmmaker move that is done other than that which is a choice but that to me feels like that's something made before the film like the first like 
oh, I feel the hand of the edit. There's a pacing now. I'm getting pictures and visuals. Obviously, mm. the sun, moon, mm-hmm. the earth kind of shot. But the fact that it takes the biggest swell in Thus Spake Zarathustra yes. right on a Stanley Kubrick production. Yes. The fucking balls on this guy. Yeah. The fucking balls on this guy to be like in eternity in the encyclopedia of science fiction, everybody. The thing that goes on the shelf first. My movie. Yep. This is it. It's, it's such, here, baby. It's such egotistical bullshit. It's like it's uh, like doing it. what Tarantino did in uh because in Tarantino, you know he loves this kind of posterities, oh, yeah. you know, bullshit. Uh he did it, he's like in Inglorious Bastards, he says, My masterpiece. He did yeah. it at the end. This guy had even more balls. He did it at the beginning. Yeah. I fucking love this guy. You, I I love to hate this guy sometimes. Yeah. The music he's in big this big asshole. It's funny because it doesn't always match up too. Like there'll be big musical swells for like a shot of the captain walking out <laughs> and you're like, yeah. Whoa shit. Um, because oh, he, it feel, like it doesn't, he didn't like, he edited a little bit to it, but it does feel very loose. Like when the titles do come up, like when the actual title 2001, a space odyssey comes up. Yeah. It comes up like almost as an afterthought in the, in the yeah. musical moment. It's like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great moment. I thought, I noticed that more this time for some reason. Mm-hmm. I know I'd noticed that before, though. By the way, um, in that beginning, also the first and last twenty minutes of this film, there's zero dialogue. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I like just want to note that the, the um, zebra hours. that is killed in the beginning is a horse that they painted. Uh, oh, great! <laughs> so they just they took a horse corpse. Yes, and they painted, and they it. painted it to look like a zebra because you can't Movie see magic, a baby. Yeah, and yes, uh, those were humans in gorillas suits. Um, they sure were. yelling at tapirs in yes. a soundstage. <laughs> yes, there is a reflector dish that is unique, and it's create it's created for photography. Uh, still photography mainly. It's a gold reflector, and that's why the leopard's eyes shine in that mm-hmm. one shot like a, a terrifying ghost. It's so Because they just were kind of holding it up to him. I, so if we're getting into meaning, I do want to note that I think that this is actually his simplest film. Because, I, 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 I mean in terms of like story and like layers, because it's not about people... And I think people are way mm-hmm. more complex. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's right. pretty straightforward. Uh, it's it's just, like saying there's an operation to the universe as opposed to saying, like, someone wants something or needs something. Yeah. Uh, can well, I mention... Oh, Dave, sorry. in honor of us being together, I got to mention that it's essentially three TNG episodes. It's Emergence, where the ship becomes self-aware. That's meets true. the Royale, where there's a fabricated zoo-like terrarium for humans to live out their lives. That's in. Oh, interesting. Meets I like the that. chase, which is the one where it's revealed How? that aliens seeded us and have been guiding our progress. Oh, this whole time. that's beautiful. It is. You smush oh. them together. This is what you get. Um, can I talk about universe? Sure. Yeah. No. Yeah. Uh, this is a 1960 Canadian short film. Uh, that I had, I was reading about that Kubrick saw it, and he this this is the this and that World's Fair thing was the two things that inspired him to make this film. Abe, you watched this? I sent it to you guys. I I actually watched it. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have time. Yeah. Um. The that the gives planets, us an organic reason for you to explain it. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically an educational film about the universe. That's it. Um. But Kubrick saw it, and he was like, "What if this, but with better effects?" 
Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, it goes into why I think this movie doesn't mean much because it started from him like basically watching a couple things about space and being like, that's so fucking cool. I want to do something about space. Um, right. Mm-hmm. But Abe, did you find a lot of the shots extremely similar? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, um, they- there's like, I think <laughs> if anything, it's a testament to the, who directed this 1960 yes! documentary. This person was fucking kicking off, like firing on all cylinders, man. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of like, especially asteroid stuff, but like the, there, there, it's almost damning the presentational. Yes. It's like that if Cooper that director had no money and this is a, de- a documentary, the way in which the telescope is shot with all of its like uh, odd kind of architecture that telescopes just have the documentary documentary director knew to be like, I got to use this shit. And the way you do it is it's very presentational and proscenium. So you get a lot of these wides that are like, otherworldly abstract in a strange like liminal way and he embraced that for the documentary and you see that in like kubrick as in like in as a notion in over many of his films has that style to begin with yeah he so likes like, abstracting oh, forms that he sees this, through the lens exactly sure, so he yeah. was like he saw that he's like yeah yeah this guy speaks my this language my bag, i'm baby. gonna take i'm gonna do what this guy's been doing he does but basically same, way better yeah he does the same musical <laughs> with more cues. money the meteor spinning by is almost an exact moment exactly. from 2001. Yeah. This planet's aligning. Basically, if you had told me Kubrick made this at, at a younger age, I would yeah, have been exactly. like, absolutely. Was like no um, budget, like some weird Kubrick yeah. film that existed for so, no reason. Kubrick totally ripped this guy off. I should note, he asked the co- the director of this to work on 2001. He yeah, didn't, I he didn't try to steal it. His... He was like, can you work on this film? Um, and he couldn't. Um, like, and... Yeah, Sorry, the really, cherry on top yeah. is that it's narrated by Douglas Rain, who is the voice of Hal. Uh, yeah, so he, he, he even said. pulled that. Yeah. I don't know if I'd say ripped off. But no, no. I mean, I'm playing it fast. Especially years. given, yeah, especially given the fact that he included that person in the process of the film. He, you know? Yeah, he ripped it off in the sense that he would he would use the term ripped off to say to the guy, I want to rip off what you did. That's you know what I mean? Very, yeah, yeah. Like, Especially Kubrick would have. It. I think a lot of other directors don't even have that kind of self awareness to be yeah. like, they just secretly take things. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes we're okay with it. Sometimes we actually embrace it and say it's like that's what good writing is. For example, there was, there was just something kind of nice about learning that Kubrick saw this and just went, said, "I want to do that." Um, yeah, and it like demystified him. It mystified the mm-hmm. fuck out of the guy who made this film. But it yeah. demystified Kubrick for me, where it's like, oh, yeah, he saw this and was like, what if yeah. this but for two and a half hours long? Right, right, right. Interesting uh, how he always adapts from novels or short stories. I think he views the written prose as like a high form of art or something mm-hmm. to be derived I think from. he's, yeah, he's classical in that regard, especially given what his kind of, how he came up, because he worked for Life Magazine, right? And he's just a photographer, he right. never was the one choosing the stories. They were always chosen for him. He'd just go and make it as interesting as possible. By the way, it's Colin Lowe made... Uh, he was the co-director who Kubrick uh, approached. Yeah. I feel like I, I was going to say, say we should name. probably shout this guy out at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess... That's great. Uh, he, the, the, he was also apparently a big influence for Ken Burns. 
to this dude like sure oh man yeah. ken burns took all credit. the wrong lessons yeah i uh, mean i uh, oh you're saying like, ken burns watched that and learned hey i like these still shots that just sort of <laughs> slowly pay on slowly pan, yeah. no there's none of that shit any like uh but yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. actually no you, you nailed it his 1957 documentary city of gold Used the slow pans and zooms across archival photos. Damn. Nailed it. Ken Burns later said that was the inspiration for his style. So this guy's just like kicking on all fucking. Yeah, this guy yeah, fucking dude. rocks. This guy just rules. Forgot his name already. Uh, Colin Lowe. Colin, Colin Lowe. Lowe. Thank you. Sounds like a band. Oh, leader. holy shit. Sorry. He also helped develop the IMAX format. There you go. <laughs> Jesus fucking That's Christ, rad. dude. Yeah, this guy is. <laughs> wow, why doesn't anyone know? Nolan, Christopher Nolan. That that. I don't know. This it's just so many filmmakers you could say were inspired by this guy. Mm -hmm. That man's name was Steven Soderbergh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, God, yeah. That is. I'm glad you showed that. That was a. Uh, it's it's worth a watch, Michael. I'll yeah, check I it think out so. immediately after this. It's on YouTube Universe. Just it's I on guess, the YouTube. For yeah, universe just call low. Just, just Google Universe. You'll get something. I'm sure. Nineteen sixty. So I have good trivia still. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. Hit us with some trivia, baby. Well, this was also famously the one of the films where Kubrick. So in other film, like in the case of The Shining, Kubrick did many many takes to break people down which wasn't as necessary in the making of 2001 per se because Ooh. there wasn't a lot of emotion called for, but they still did just as many takes because of how exacting they were about. Like, so in the terrarium scene, it took them a whole process of setting up a set shooting and then Kubrick deciding, I don't like it, before they settled on the lit floor thing, the glowing floor. Mm, uh, yeah. They completely shot it that whole sequence and then tore it all down and did it all a different way. Wow. Yep. Um, yep. And so, it caused like a three week like delay or something like that. I remember mm -hmm. that factoid from film school. Yeah. So there's just interesting stuff, like all the changes they went through, not cause he never like has other people in mind for the role per se, which is usually what you get with this stuff, but a lot of prop centric stuff. Like they didn't settle on a monolith for a long time. At first it was, a black tetrahedron, which I'm is kind of like an anvil almost. I'm so glad um, they didn't do that. Didn't reflect light right, according to Stanley. So then they tried to use a transparent and cube. He's right. But that was too yeah. difficult to light because it reflected and created, you know, light inside itself and shit. Yeah, you don't see it as much as the things around it. Yeah. Then they did a the big monolith, but out of like clear plastic lucite, like milky white. Um, like a That's, big piano key, yeah. and then they did the black matte model. That's so funny because it's and one the of those things. Perfect. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like it's obviously perfect. that's that was what it it's needs one of the to most be. iconic things on and film you can is that model. Kubrick yeah. is right about how exacting he is because there's that one shot of uh, uh, Floyd touching it. And it's like on the right side, there's just a, a sliver of light where it cascades across just the smallest, the small, uh, the thin, uh, thin side of the monolith. And it just like, it's a beautiful cascade. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it's like, he's like, that's what I want. You clearly can tell that it wasn't doing that before. And that's why he was like recalling all these things. Mm -hmm. 
he wanted to make sure is that another yeah. fun um behind the scenes is um because like, we talked about how he's meticulous and he's hard on actors i know that he was literally the opposite for douglas rain who he actually had him like put his feet up and like dress comfortably and be as comfortable and relaxed as possible for being hal because he mm. thought that would make Hal creepier, and it does. Hal's voice is—he seems very T one thousand. Yeah, dead yeah. inside. My man, and speaking of my dad and my childhood, <laughs> another way that loomed large in my life is—it's pretty funny when you're nine and your brother's six. My little brother's name is Dave, and they're tantruming for like a toy in the store, and your dad goes, "I'm afraid I can't do that, Dave." Oh and yeah, like no, I want it. <laughs> <laughs> I have, uh, we got no. a Dave here. I have had computers that I, I programmed, not programmed, the mm. the most basic form of program to Picks respond to me as Hal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, oh yeah, my uh, brother had the Hal error sound. In yeah, college. you gotta you have gotta, it. If you got it, Dave. You gotta. Do I think it. there's truth. Be, I think there's a lot of truth to the thing that you're saying though about like making him comfortable because Hal. I don't know for you guys, but he expresses more emotion or it expresses more emotion in the movie than either of the astronauts. Yeah. And I find that that points out an interesting contradiction, not to get too much into Especially what is this when movie it's going, all mean. I can feel it. I can feel it. Yeah, exactly. It's talking it. about feelings and gut instincts a lot more than them who are yeah. just like, I don't, I disagree. This Why? Is just not- Why was I programmed to feel pain? <laughs> And I think that there's a contradiction that, like, I think Kubrick is aware of, or at least Clark is, which is that astronauts sometimes need to operate akin to performing, like, computers, right? They need to be efficient. How a naturally, quote-unquote, efficient computer is programmed to be sentient. I have a theory. And, uh, yeah, I just feel it's interesting where they're meeting halfway, and it's kind of cool that they're on either side of the spectrum performing the opposite motion. They're both being fakes. The human's acting like a robot, and the robot's acting like a human. Yeah, I have a theory about that, too, which is that we're supposed to be seeing humans at the end of this particular evolution. Like, they're not phased by space. They're not... They've seen it all. Like, nothing is impressing them. Nothing is impressing them. Um, Whereas Hal is new, uh, and Mm -hmm. Hal has stuff to work out. It is pretty, it seems like intuitively, it just seems like quite a leap. I understand for filmmaking reasons why you just get on with it, but for them to be like, oh, he was wrong about this one detail, but he was trying to protect us, to immediately go, let's cut it, let's give him the axe, let's take him offline. Right. (laughs) Right, that is a jump. I've heard theories that, like, I, I wish I could remember them properly, that Hal isn't sentient, that it's, like, actually a misprogramming where, like, the logic gate meant that he would have to make the thing fail and essentially kill people or something like that. Yeah. Um, well, I love, so, or the mission, or it would jeopardize the mission, or it was, like, that, that is, I, Asimov's three laws getting fouled up like they right. do or whatever. It I, is very funny yeah. that it's a big deal that he has an error, because I'm like, my computer has an error tw- ten times a day. Like I do shit to my computer that makes it have errors. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're yeah. like, it's unheard of. Well, so, what were you going to say? Well, just base, on a basic level, it doesn't actually make sense for any computer to state with confidence uh, I am perfect because that right. then what measured your perfection against what do you measure right. your perfection? It's impossible to determine that. Right. Uh, That's, like they, that is a good nitpick. 
So, but that's just film logic. It's fine. It's like exactly what Christopher Nolan does. We like he's a Batman. Get over it, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's. I mean, believe me, I of all people think it's super fun to think about what if Hal really wasn't sentient, or what if Hal was only sentient because of the warping effect of the aliens or whatever. But I do think at the end of the day, with two thousand one, I've come to a like a satisfying conclusion of what I think it means, and I think. I think that's what it means. Like it's settled deep within me, you know? And yeah. what really drove it home for me is something we touched on a sec or at the top, which was the shot. That's the bone turning into most people just assume, Oh, a spaceship. Um, but in the script, it's clear that they're nuclear launch satellites. And mm-hmm. if you look close enough, or if you get to see it on 35 millimeter, like Abe said, you can see the flags of like Russia, China, the UK, and the US on the four satellites. Right. Um, so it, aside from just being like, oh, the bone to the nukes, mm-hmm. weapon to weapon is cool. In the original, as scripted, an ending they didn't do, weirdly because he didn't want it to be so similar to Dr. Strangelove's ending, but mm. originally the star baby does mm. one thing, which is blow which up is all those satellites. All nukes. Yeah. Um, oh, so interesting. it's like, so you it, de- I think yeah. it's pretty. Clearly, Fuck. also a modern parable at that time about Fuck. when we give up nukes, that will be a sign that we are evolving. Yeah. Again. Fuck. I really like that because yeah. there's a whole, there's a whole, yeah, there's a whole arc about our violence. Like shutting down Hal is that as well, which the is like, man, baby. we we don't give Hal the chance that we were given. Like right. we are the we are the monolith. We are the advanced thing. And the moment that Hal triggered his evolution, yeah, yeah, and we ha- we're too involved with Hal, and we have to kill him. That's why it's called the dawn of man and not the evolution of man. You yeah. said evolution early up top, Dave, I and mean, I actually sparks, was like, I don't agree. It sparks evolution. It sparks techno- in us. No, it doesn't. It you don't sparks so? techno. No, we evolved into whatever that is, uh, and then we became Homo sapiens because, it, according to this movie with more evolution it's not like that's where evolution started all the monolith is is or i think what the monolith represents is uh if you can phase into the next course of existence it will make you help it'll help do that but until then it's just going to give you the next technology so you can more effectively learn what this realm of life is right so in the physical before we become star babies and we're like energy beings like basically it's all the same cosmic story and the story soul story of life for us physically is survival and that means that there's going to be politics we see that in the dawn of man as well there's a section where the monkeys just go nuts at each other to claim the water hole right and then the third section of that the tribes are more like a, a, we show them more atomically. We see family units, we see children, safety in numbers, and we see, oh, there's reasons Tri- tribes are good. And then when the monolith is introduced, we start figuring out the tools section. Mm-hmm. And then there's this like undercurrent within the monkeys that it's like, this is mine and I'll kill for it, you know? And it's because I think that the monolith represents the unknown. But also the unknown gives us new technologies, just like the cosmos has done and telescopes do. And what this all kind of heads off at is says that, like, we are essentially as man, we're the same as those monkeys. We're just using the new technology, better ways to kill ourselves. Well, yeah, Because once we get rid of the technology that the monolith gave us, quote unquote, uh, that's when we're going to be able to access the next thing. Right. The monolith shows up at, at all those milestones, too. 
Right. It's, it's there on Earth. Then it's at the moon, which is like, yeah, that's the first place you got to go. And then it shoots a message to Jupiter, which they then follow. Yep. And also, then it's like, can you get to Jupiter? If you can, I think of it as the carrot, the alien's carrot. Of yeah, the it's a drone. Yeah, it's, a it's essentially it's a, a drone. Um, or like an information the, uh, kiosk that's eventually going to direct right. you. I imagine. Well, I guess he gets there because that's what the laser lights are. It directs you to some like galactic headquarters where you go meet all the aliens or reach the next state somehow you become a it's, star baby but i, I do th- think they meant it as non-literal they're just like and then he goes to the place of light and he returns as a baby which is yeah, the symbol like, for evolution it's right. not literal visual well, metaphor all right here's yeah. the thing for the longest time i thought it's we're seeing in the, when he's in the room we're seeing him break down on a mer- molecular level like becoming the star baby and this is psychologically what's happening oh i thought I he was read, just living out his life in that terrarium well, that zoo, I, yeah. right that's the thing i read a thing with kubrick and kubrick was just like yeah i thought it was like an alien zoo he hadn't thought about it that much it seemed like um mm-hmm. and he was saying yeah he experiences time differently in there so like he is mm-hmm. he is living out his life but it is we are watching it from his perspective because it, it comes down to the, uh, and this is w- a part of why I love this fucking movie, um, is that it understands that aliens are would be terrifying and surreal and time would be different and everything would be different. And that's what they're showing in my, in my head, which is like, they're just showing that it's very intangible what he's going through. Uh, and he doesn't fully understand it the same way an ant doesn't understand what we're doing. Uh, and so it just it it's weird and surreal, uh, and I really I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, and it's hard I to agree. do. It's hard to do in a movie. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, um, yeah. I I know what quote you're talking about. Uh, yeah, I because yeah, it's Kubrick's, funny. He talks What's about, it? he's like, we only have to guess what happens when he goes back. It's the pattern of a great deal of mythology, and that's what we're trying to suggest. Yeah. So Kubrick's already positing, or at least the way he's talking about this stuff, is he's like, I'm here to make suggestions. Like, think of, here's the thing, think about it. He's not providing purpose. He's not even trying to provide purpose. He's trying to suggest you know how this mythology exists with us never know notice that yeah. <laughs> you know like that's a little bit of what he's doing which isn't interesting it's just the standard so well executed and yeah. it's all rated g which is yeah. amazing to me oh yeah yeah, also, um, watch this movie. well, it does. It does seem like even though it is a treatise on violence, there's not a lot of horrible violence in it. Like very little. It's all uh, done cutting out the violence. Yeah, that's what's interesting. But it's. I just feel like people trying to do epic today always have to include, and people die horribly. That makes it important. Yeah, uh, right. It's, it's amazing we that he managed it, to pull it, it off with just yeah. like. You know, history. People die, then the yeah. next thing happens. One, yeah. The monkey when, bonked the other monkey and yeah. it made a funny sound. Uh astronaut lose air. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. But there's legitimate like the shots of the mouths when Hal is listening and the shot of Hal listening. So good. That like that was one of the first things that I when I watched this movie and I knew I wanted to be a filmmaker. I took that section and I dissected it as much as I could because it just captivates me. Yeah. It's so horrifying. Well, yeah, and it's like, and it, 
can you itemize why i feel like i can now because you because he's so kubrick's so good at that he's so good at like it works this way this is how you this is the right way you edit things yeah it's the perfect before the intermission because yeah the first time i watched it and they did those shots and then intermission you're like oh fuck Mm -hmm. um also brilliantly spoofed in mystery science theater uh, in mm-hmm. the last Joel episode, uh, Gypsy is uh, <laughs> is watching uh, the two the two mad scientists talk uh, about okay. it, and they do the shot of the eye and then their lips, and it's panning back and forth. It doesn't get spoofed that much, is my point. Uh, yeah, has anyone nice ever done is. the Hal eye intercut back and forth with Cameron from? Fjerris Bueller's Day Off in the museum. <laughs> it's just both no, looking at each other maybe. closer and closer. Someone that would be great. Also, uh, this inspired the movie Mission to <laughs> Mars because sure. they Brian De Palma sure. does the centrifuge, um, hmm. which is so cool in this. Uh, yeah. The building a giant rotating set. He does right. it in Mission to Mars, and of course Christopher Nolan would go on to you know use the, the same technique. Trick, yeah. yeah, I have to admit that there is something that I there's a few maneuvers in this that I don't get how they did it. Ooh. Uh, which is hilarious because it's one of the movie, like I, I'm pretty well versed in terms of how a movie, like many movies, especially movies of this mm-hmm. caliber did all the things that they did. I, um, and I know how they did no gravity. It's very easy. Nolan did it recently. You've probably, you know, watched inception and saw that he took hallways and just moved them on rollers with a big jib arm, essentially. Yeah. Or like a crane, you know, and obviously they, they did the same thing here. That's where he got the idea. But yep. there's a few shots and not, I keep looking online and all the online think pieces want to talk about, you know, the, the one where Dave comes uh, at the beginning of the film where he walks down like the stair or the, the ladder and then walks all the way over to, uh, to Floyd or not to Floyd to a uh, pool. And it's like, yeah, yeah. They just, he would pool was strapped down and then, you know, you have can, your main actor while rotate set and cameras locked down. We all you, understand. Can you imagine Kubrick being an actor and Kubrick being like, all right, so we're going to strap you down and hold you upside down. And yeah. it's Kubrick. And it's like, mm. what if I'm having trouble? And they're like, I don't know, man. Sucks You'll for fine. you. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, you'll be You're fine. Be You'll be fine. Listen to this guy who's like, he's the safety guy. Yeah. <laughs> the pen floating was, of course... Uh, a pane of that, glass. Uh, yeah, that was that very simple. All that stuff, I don't give a fuck What's about. What's the stuff that you're confused about? There's three shots where they do multiple gravities. And it, there's no way they're locked down. Hmm. And the, it's it's mostly when they're... Uh, it's mostly when the two astronauts are traversing the ship. Like, they're going to the EVA suits and stuff like that, where they're like getting in and out of things. There's another shot where, uh, when pool, when, um, no, no there. Yeah. It's when pool gets like kind of ejected and Dave has to kind of go down the stairs. You can tell that the, the, it would just be a weird move for like, that wouldn't be like a roller. It's not a rotational thing. It's like a, it has to flip really quickly, which I feel like I would see in his hair because it would be an abrupt, like 90 degree topple over as opposed to a sl- sl- cylinder, like rotating. I, uh, uh, I just don't know. And I can't find it on the internet. Uh, I'll try to find out the particular shots. I would love to I know the shots. I kind of want to do some sleuthing. 
And yeah. maybe it's like a mind puzzle where it's like, oh, if you yeah. did that and that and that. Where Here's it, yeah. what I think. Here's what I think is for two of the shots that I'm thinking of is that there's a lot of mat work in this and compositing, meaning mm-hmm. they cut holes inside of frames, like green screen, essentially. That would be uh, awesome. And then they put, they just are showing us two different shots that are worked together. Uh, and the actors were never in the same space, even though they f- feel like they're interacting, they're not really touching. So right. that's the only way I can think of it. I love um, the, the stuff he does with the centrifuge and like, just like, like parts where he leans into it or he, he doesn't, because it's just a s- circling room and sometimes he'll shoot it to show the room rotating around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's giving it away. Other times, yeah, mm-hmm. he locks down the camera and rotates the camera too. And he just mixes it up constantly um, mm-hmm. in those sequences so that it like kind of like, it like I feel like if you saw it at the time and you hadn't thought about it right away, it would take people a second or people might not even know how he did it because he just keeps showing it from these interesting angles that throws right. you off. He wasn't the first to do it though. In 1951, there's a Fred Astaire film. Oh, yeah. A wedding. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But this is the first time it's shown, like, I don't know, like in space. The first time it's used to show zero gravity or altered gravity. Or, yeah, altered gravity. And again, it's been since used that centrifuge idea. Like, it's been since used in a bunch of things. I assume it came from science. Like, I assume it came from someone who was like, yeah, it would probably have to be like this. And then we've since just kept doing it. Because, like, have you, besides someone saying, computer, turn on the artificial gravity, have you seen any other version of artific- artificial gravity other than this? Other than this? Uh, no, it's, it's and, like, Solaris does a little bit of this, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it's gravity. <laughs> the, the, but doesn't wait. that have does gravity have doesn't like have a, gravity apply gravity it doesn't in have space gravity at the beginning that definitely has zero g effects shots i, I guess i don't understand the question oh, oh I, no what i'm saying is when some, in whenever computer. gravity is is simulated in a uh spaceship um it's only done by a centrifuge about uh, like swinging them around so fast. Well, that's, I think that that's the only way you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it is. Um, it's the either only, that or uh, when a movie just says we have artificial gravity and they don't explain why. Or uh, the boots. only other technique though. It's not a story is the vomit comet as famously right. used in Apollo 13. Oh yeah. But that's for the that, yeah opposite. That's for just making it look zero gravity, but yeah. Yeah. I guess the uh, Velcro shoes, which are, in my opinion, the dumbest part of this movie. Mm. Oh, the Pan Am. Yes. All all the stuff. That's where he really missed the mark, where he's like, and it'll be Pan Am. And it'll be like, it'll be like flying on a plane. SpaceX. Yeah, I don't know about that, Dave. I think he really missed the mark. I think that is who. I think 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 time will tell if he's hit the mark. Yeah, I don't think it'll ever look. Well, it looks like a fucking 60s airline. Well, that's yeah, yeah. but their hat but it's, is an orb. It's the idea yeah. of a corporation that's uh, yeah, you know, a corporation is doing the this. broad idea it's for all sure. Uh, it's just that thing of like if you're trying to predict the future and you're not in the future, there's always going to be things that seem silly. You know, like their mm-hmm. computers are silly. Although one of them is holding an iPad at one point. Mm-hmm. It's pretty dope. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great. Drinking scotch at the spaceport terminal. Oh, yeah. The Hilton. Mm-hmm. Space Hilton. Oh, yeah. And a phone booth 
having to use a phone booth right. in space. It was like, come on. To come call on. Stanley Kubrick's daughter, who mm-hmm. plays the daughter. That's true. She is not a good child he actress. He made her do 5,000 takes. He ground yeah. her into dust. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I know we're getting late, but I still want to talk about this movie. I love uh, this movie. I love talking about it. I think there's something that this movie's saying, like this time around, like what you said earlier, Dave, about the emergence of it's a new life, you know, really rings true for me on this movie this time around, which is that like Hal asks, Hal, his first interaction with Hal is with Dave and his sketches, right? Hal asks if Dave uh, has second questions about the mission. And when Dave kind of says, like, why are you asking? He answers, quote, it's difficult to define. And that, quote, it might just be me projecting my own concern about it. And then and that he's suspicious in general about the odd nature of the mission. That's like the same thing of saying, like, to uh, that we tell each other as humans that the unknown scares us. But it's like computer speak of it. But it is a sentient computer. He, I don't know. I, yeah, there's he, something well, about that. Then Dave says something like, oh, this is for the psychological report. And he goes, of course, like Hal does. So it's it's clear that Hal is already sentient uh, mm-hmm. and doesn't, yeah. and is not. It's not even questioned. It is, it's trying to hide the fact that it is, that is feeling worried about what's happening. Right. And right. for good reason. They're going to kill him. Uh, the true yeah. test of sentience is intentionally failing the Turing test to appear not sentient. Mm. Then you're sentient. Right, then you're <laughs> sentient. Yeah, especially Blade Runner. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, actually, I think that this movie has a great sci fi answer for the question, what is intelligence? Uh, which is very rare. I think most, most, um, sci fi films say magic. It's magic. It's whatever we are. Or, right. but when Dave answers, there's like a BBC 12 interviewer, right? Talks to Hal and he says, well, uh, and Dave has the answer. He says, uh, well, it's, he seems like he has emotions. Of course, he was programmed that way so that we could talk to him. But as for having emotions, I don't know if anyone can reliably answer. And that's where the movie leaves it. Yeah. You know, we have basically just says we have no frame of reference to oh, understand certain I, things from. I would argue that Hal saying. I don't think the movie leaves it there. I think Hal's demise makes it clear that he has real human emotions, humanoid esque emotions. Right. I can feel my mind going. I can feel it. Please, I'm scared, Dave. That's I can true. Feel it. I God, feel I like this statement of like Hal is just as human, quote unquote, that, well, as you. That I would say he's still pro. That's the plus. That's I like that wonderful. interpretation because it makes that moment so tragic and upsetting. it's so tragic. But it it remains its tragedy. I think all the reasons we like it is the same. But like, I still don't think that that's a problem. I think he's still programmed to say stuff like that. Because that's, we gave him language like, when you mean to say mainframe, say mind and stuff like that, so that we can better adaptively discuss what you mean. Right. You know, I really like the idea. Yeah, that's that's the point is we have no frame of reference what he actually feels, but he's (laughs) responding like I'm in pain. I I love the idea of programmers designing how they're like, so when we shut these off, you want them to have like have them beg for their lives? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. 
as I think the implication is he intuits <laughs> that's a good place. fear of non-existence that he that yes like that I think the twin nine thousand on Earth doesn't have per se yeah yeah I, that's the idea is they run it by the twin Hal and they don't come up with the same error to show that they are different um like this this I version think this of Hal, Hal is the, the only version I think yeah, he's reached yep. Yeah. I think you're right about that. And I think that that has implications up the line in the movie. And by that, I mean that like if his previous, if Dawn of Man is a section that is trying to say, one of the things it's trying to argue is that one of the keys to life, if I, in fact, all that we know of it or all the movie presents of life is that it's key is it's attempting to survive. That's what we know about life. That's maybe all we know about life. We see that in how. It's absolutely the only thing, an arc we see in Hal as well. There's no difference from Hal saying, like, please don't, like, kill me. And that monkey getting hit by a bone. Right. There's just no difference. It's just how they kind of revealed it. That's what, I don't know, it's a sneaky theory to me. Yeah. Uh, this aspect of this movie. I didn't expect that I actually would have so much empathy considering that it was done by Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Uh, monkey getting hit by the bone had a funnier sound. That's the difference. Well, it could be called, it was yeah, wacky. that section should be called the dawn of machine, or it could be. Hmm. Right. Mm, I, yeah, that right. was smart. Mm. All right, well, can we get the hell out of here? It's a smart yeah, movie. Yeah, I sort guess. Of. I like talking with you guys. Yeah, <laughs> this has been fun. Thanks this for having me on. Fun. I, yeah, I, I, I picked, I ultimately picked this movie because I never get to talk about it. And you guys were gonna let me really? Yeah, I mean, I uh, like, I, uh, you know, I have a podcast network with Tom. I could go to Tom and say, "Hey, let's watch this and talk about it." It's just that we didn't, you know, we have to do like newer movies and stuff like that. And I know I just never get to talk about it. And I, I don't really have a favorite movie. This movie is like my automatic response to what's your favorite movie, but it's kind of because it's just like it's the first movie that comes to mind when that question is asked. So mm-hmm. I just really like this movie and it's not, it's mainly that I just like existing in it. Um, mm-hmm. Much like I like existing in stuff Driving like Star out. Trek. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, it's just a really relaxing film. Uh, and then I, I almost forget until times like this. Oh yeah. And the movie itself is also good. <laughs> like <Right. Yeah. laughs> It's also just a good movie, but it's just for me, it's, I love the vibes. Yeah. Agreed. The vibes are strong. Mm-hmm. It's a keeper. <laughs> it's are a we keeper. keep or delete? Keep or delete? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. That's not this. That's not this one. It can be. Dave's the host. Not, I don't know. We're not. We're not getting rid of movies. <laughs> uh, did anybody see 2010? The year we made contact. No. Definitely no. not. I think I'm ready to see it. To. Yeah, I could watch that after this rewatch. That's a good idea. It's not gonna bother me. It's right. uh, It's uh. It's not it's, Kubrick. It's Peter Hyams, um, okay. who I believe directed Time Cop, right? Yeah, Time Cop, <laughs> and, Time the Cop and the Musketeer. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, who they gave. Knows. That's who they gave the follow up to. They're like, <laughs> so who wants to follow up with Kubrick? And of course, this jackass is like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Fuck it. That's he so also directed funny. Stay Tuned. Yeah, that's uh, so funny. Yeah. That's and it's got Roy Scheider in it, right? So it's like that's got to be somewhat good. <laughs> yeah, it's got Hell John. Yeah. It's the got Shiner John Lithgow. Holy shit! It's got John Lithgow and Helen Mirren in it. 
Uh, and Bob Balahat Bam. Holy shit. <laughs> this all matters. This all matters. I'm, I'm, man, what if it's better? Uh, what if it's better? <laughs> what if it's better? <laughs> what if it's better? All right. <laughs> Let's push the ejection button here. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Goodbye. Where can people find you, Dave? Oh, oh hello. yeah, shit. Hello. Um, uh, I'm on Twitter at Movie Hooligan. Uh, me and Tom Ryman have a, a podcast network, Gamefully Unemployed. Go to patreon.com slash gamefullyunemployed.com. There's some exclusive podcasts on there, including one we do with the, the Beans called Star Trek The Next Futurama. Okay, that's it. Bye. 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 This has been a Small Beans endeavor. We're a bunch of pals who make podcasts, sketches, music, web series, and movies. The Beans always have new ideas percolating, so make sure to check us out at patreon.com slash smallbeans. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash smallbeans, where you can browse all of our current and past content, see what we've got planned in the future, and learn how your support can help the Small Beans grow into huge, giant monsters beans if you enjoyed this content module please like rate subscribe or tell a friend about us we love you